0: the adventure jogger a podcast about trail and ultra running meet fascinating runners from the front middle and back of the pack sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running running should be fun and so should running podcasts i'm your host ryan Pluckelman, and this is the adventure jogger All right, time for some RD stories. These stories come from Matthew Hammersmith from Greenville, South Carolina. He's the race director of Upstate Ultras in South Carolina, known for such races as the Sandhills Ultra, the Prisoner of War races, the Conquer the Rock, the Back Nine races, the Paris Mountain 50K, the Longest Day 100K, the Dark Horse 100 miler, and more. Matthew Hammersmith, welcome to the Adventure Jogger.
1: Ryan, thank you so much for having me. Uh, honestly, if you were had to list all of our races, you'd be speaking for the next 25 minutes. <laughs> we have a lot. Of them. I think I'm, I'm up to 25 races a year now. So it's, it's kind of crazy. No, I was
0: looking at your, at your page about three hours ago, just doing some more prep for our interview. And I'm like, good Lord, Upstate Ultras has got a really busy, busy calendar. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I thought we kind of get started with knowing who matt hammersmith is just the person we all have these stories that that bring us into this weird sport and we kind of want to get your story first before we get into all the race director stuff matt what brought you into the world of ultra running
1: so i i guess uh, ultra running obviously began in high school and middle school as just a, a runner yeah uh, before that i was just an athlete um all the middle school you know basketball football wrestling baseball my I, you know I, my mom took me to every sport imaginable i think i just had too much energy and i drove her nuts so i just had to get out of the house so <laughs> she just took me to you know everything from ymca basketball to, to Wee baseball all the way up um, i mean she even paid for a basketball camp my, my uncle ralph was seven foot two so Everybody in my family, when I was a sixth grader, I was like 5'10 at the time, thought I was going to be like the next NBA star. So I just did a lot of sports. I ended up not really growing that much uh, post-middle school and yeah. high school and uh, broke some bones that took a lot of time to rehab. So I kind of got into the world of running just to stay in shape for some of these other sports and just developed a knack for it. And then um, later in life, I went to Eastern Michigan University. I was a walk-on and just developed the the skill of running there ended up running pretty well as a division one athlete. Um, it was like four Oh nine for the mile, uh, 1440 for the five K 30, 31, 10, K. And, uh, I was just, you know, yeah, I was, I was a good division one athlete, not great, but I contributed to the team. I was the team captain by my senior year. So I met my wife. Do you really want to see a running or hear a running story? Talk to my wife, Victoria, that might be another podcast. She's got an incredible story about her upbringing. But anyhow, so I just kind of graduated. I was like, "Well, I'm not going to go pro. So what? What's next?" Right. And my buddy um, uh, John Torque, he was doing a, a 50k down in down in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and he invited me. And I was training for a marathon at the time. I guess that's the next step in a post-collegiate world. Is like, oh, let's do a marathon. Let's you know, right. let's see what it's all about. Which was a mistake because marathons suck. <laughs> They're so. Um, but I was, you know, I was doing like you know, 18, 19, 20 miles. My buddy, you know, said, Hey, come do this 50 K. And I had literally had never heard the word 50 K in my life at that point in time. Didn't know what ultras were. Didn't realize that there was a group of people out there that were doing these things. And so he invited me down. I was like, ah, oh, screw it. Let's let's do it. How, how much, you know, harder can it be to run an extra 11 miles for my long run this weekend? Right. So I signed up, went down there. It was a, pretty typical you know uh first weekend in march in cleveland three inches of snow on the ground about 30 degrees um it just you know it's just a pretty chill day so started running the race and immediately I, re- I realized i'm looking around and people are geared up like you know water i didn't know what a water bottle was you know handheld <laughs> water bottle these guys <laughs> had packs on their backs they had just, you know everything i'm sitting there i had a i felt bad at the time because i bought i went to. TJ Maxx, or maybe it was TJ Maxx or Goodwill, but I bought a Marine Corps marathon jacket. I didn't run the race, but it was like $2. <laughs> so I bought it. I'm wearing my Marine Corps marathon out like a badass. I've never run a marathon before or an ultra. And I start the race, no water, no food, no nothing. I get to mile 10 and I think there was a, usually like eight or nine or 10. First, first aid station, the two guys I was running with, we were up front uh, leading, leading the race and um, they stopped to get you know water food like every other typical ultra runner and i'm like well screw this Am I allowed to curse on this whole show <laughs> yeah, yeah, please go ahead <laughs> i'm like fuck this i just and i'm like thinking to myself well they're stopped this would be a great time to pick up my pace because like every experienced ultra runner you know the fastest mile is mile 10 11 12 13 right <laughs> so i'm flying running like 6 i mean i might i might still have it on Strava. 6:20, 6:30s, so all the way through mile 22, and I'm getting this like, you know, once I get to 22, my stomach drops out underneath me, and I had to pull over. And you know, I think every ultra runner can tell you this story. I had to go to the bathroom, and it wasn't a good situation because there ain't no TP, and in March there ain't no leaves on the on on the trees. So I'm grabbing a handful of snow, and I'm wiping my bum, getting back up, and I'm rolling again, still lightheaded as could be finally get to the marathon mark. I have had no water and no food for 26 miles. I'm, I'm balking hard. (laughs) i get to the aid station. I asked one of the volunteers to pour water all over my hands. And I'm like, please do you have any hand sanitizer or some Clorox please? I don't care. Just put something on it or either put a bunch of M&Ms in my mouth. She just, she like literally tossed a bunch of gummy bears in there. I grabbed a couple of Coca-Colas and I wanted to finish this last stinking five miles of the race. I'm, I'm running down this road and about two miles to go, um, this photographer sitting there and saying, "Man, you're looking great." There's only one guy behind you, but I'm not, I'm like almost you know walking and crying <laughs> at this point. I turn around and uh, his name is Jay Smithberger. He's like a ultra running legend in Ohio, and yeah. he is in me down, and I'm like about ready to cry. I'm like, I cannot lose this race. <laughs> so him and I are just duking out the last two miles of the race. I end up beating him by like nine seconds. We ran like three three 318 for that fifty k. And it was, I was hooked after I, I was like, holy shit. I just experienced like life and death and shitting myself all on a race. <laughs> like it was, I was like, I got to do this again. So after that, I went home and, and just got on YouTube and just watched so many ultra marathon videos, um, and then bought the, you know, born to run book. And, and I just, I was just hooked after that. So, um, and then I made my way down to South Carolina and uh, have not looked back.
0: It's so funny because you have that story of winning your first ultra. Like like a couple – it's it's surprising how many people I interview, Matt. They're like, well, you know, I didn't quite know what I was doing, but I still won anyway, which well, yeah.
1: is <laughs> – yeah, Well, so I always tell people being naive kind of helps a little bit because when you start gaining experience, you maybe overthink the situation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first started – and well, I – you know, take that with a grain of salt because my second ultra was the Burning River 100. Yeah. And I bonked and dropped out of 62. And like, I'm literally like power hiking. I went out too fast, went with the leaders, thought, you know, hey, I won my first. Why can't I win my second? Right. Is this a, it's a, it's a, it was the uh, a national 100 mile championship, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like I said, take it with a grain of salt. I'm out there running. Me, I can't remember the guy that won. He won it a couple years in a row. He had, a, he had that guy had an incredible story. Uh, He was really overweight, lost a bunch. He ended up winning the, this is back in 2012. But anyhow, uh, they stopped uh, at mile 26 To I think they were both, it was like really strategically timed. They were going to go to the bathroom at the same time. Me and these two other, these three other guys, I'm I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to keep going. So I started picking up the pace. We were actually running at such a pace at the Burning River Hunter. We got to the next, the marathon aid station and they weren't even set up yet. They were like literally pulling in to set things up. And I'm like, which way do I go? And he like pointed me down the trail and it was the long way. So I'm, I'm like going down this, you know, this path for about 800 meters. And the, the guy gets out of his truck and like sprints down path, you know, after me said, dude, no, 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 turn around, turn around. And, and just from there it spiraled and Connie Gardner, if you know her, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm power hiking up this hill at mile, like, you know, 58, 59 feeling really, I mean, I'm like in 10th, 12th place, feeling sorry for myself, under trained, went out too fast. And she just, pats me on the back and Says, better luck next year kid and i didn't know who she was at the time and i you know i checked the number after the race and i'm like okay she's a badass <laughs> uh, and i just pulled off at 100k and just licked my wounds and went home
0: i i love that 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 first race if you had gotten your ass kicked in that 50k like if you had had a miserable experience and just been obliterated you know, would would you have been in the sport? Would you have got
1: the sport? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No. Cause yeah. I was so adamant about running a faster half marathon in full. But and so I I, I ran won that fifty K and then I ran a marathon a month later and I ended up getting second. And I'm like, Well, screw this, let's you know, let's go longer. Like that's what I said to myself. Like, I won the I won the first one. Why can't I go longer? So I'm like, all right, let's sign up for a hundred miles. Probably thinking I should have, like, you know, you know regretfully, probably could have done a few more 50Ks before I got my you know, <laughs> right. you know, you know, head first. I love that.
0: It's like, ah, my first 100 mile. I've never done anything close to this distance. You yeah, know, I, the the farthest I've gone is less than a third of this yeah. distance.
1: I'm going to go ahead and win this thing. I, yeah. I, I, that sounds reasonable to but me. I think, you know, most trail runners and ultra runners, like, I, I feel like I talk to a lot of first-time 50Kers that just skip. Half and full marathon. Mm-hmm, yeah. They don't like the road. It's too, you know, whether they feel claustrophobic, they feel it, it, it's nerve-wracking. I mean, when you got five thousand people, and, and that's a mid-major, you know, marathon, you right? Know, let alone go to New York or you know, wherever, you feel really anxious and nervous. But we, I mean, we just directed a race last weekend, and I could tell you how many people that said, "This is my." I've only done two races. I did a road five k, and then they signed up for this trail ten mile, and they loved it. So they just, you know, it's just more. I think more comfortable, more approachable for. People that have issues with, you know, with 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 that kind of atmosphere.
0: Oh, agreed. It's an entirely different atmosphere where where what I've experienced at big road marathons is it's very intense and it's very serious. And then mm-hmm. the trail scene is a little more laid back, a little more fun. People are gonna, you know, high-five each other, they're gonna, you know, encourage each other on the trail. There's that out and back area, you know, that's where everybody's high-fiving and that sort of thing. It's yep. you know more laid-back. Uh, experience so after burning river
1: do you start to dial things in a little bit better and, and, and- so i knew um i kind of i was developing i was kind of trying to figure out what type of runner i was and i still firmly believe my distance is 50 mile road mm-hmm. so i went out to do tussie mountain back 50 which yeah. is kind of a gravel road not not too much uh, elevation and the worst part about that, man, i mean i'll tell you the whole story. Uh, I'm training for it. And, you know, when I was in college, we we're doing 16, 18, 19 mile long runs at like, you know, 5:50 to 6:20 pace. We were, yeah. you know, good runners and training for some serious stuff. And I knew about seven minute pace is what it was going to take to win the, you know, that, that Tuskegee mountain back 50. And one of my buddies had, and I've been running for about a year now ultras. And when my buddies had just graduated, he was a year behind me. I'm like, Hey man, you should do ultras with me. Let's train for this. And I'm already eight weeks into a training plan for it. He yeah. just, just like jumps in right. Uh, Austin Hendricks, you can look him up. He lives in Chicago area. And, uh, he, and he's like, what do I do? I'm like, well, I'm going to go do 22 miles uh, on, on Saturday and we we'll to do another 18 on Sunday. You want to join me? He's like, ah, sure. We'll do it. So we just found some in, in, in really in Michigan at the time, there was not really too many trails. So we just kind of did a bunch of loops, which is where I kind of came up with, you know, a lot of my races are, are loop courses. Yeah. But anyhow, we trained for it. He trains for the next eight, eight, eight weeks with me. And, um, we showed up to the race my brother came, um, uh, we had a couple crew members come with us and, uh, we're running the race together, just, you know, him and I was socializing, we get to about mile 25 and I'm just, I don't know, not, not my day I was feeling kind of flat, feeling kind of sorry for myself. I said, Austin, you go ahead. You're, you're feeling great. Just, just leave me. And I get to about mile 35 and the same thing. I balk. I'm, I'm walking my brothers there and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna get to the A station, tell him I'm out, pick me up and we'll just drive and catch up with Austin. Well, that's what happened. I, we I you know, I, I stopped the race, got my got in the car, started driving, and we're passing people. And I'm like, shit, that guy was in seventh when when we saw him, and then we saw another guy sixth and another guy in fifth. I'm like, where the hell is Austin at? Sure shit, Austin's in second place in this race that he's been training for for eight weeks. I think Zach I think it was the year Zach Bitter might have won. Yeah, I think Zach Bitter won that race, and my buddy Austin Hendricks got second and wow. made five hundred. And that was the uh, that was the national fifty mile championship. So So kind of, I was trying to figure out obviously what kind of runner I was, but I knew I wanted to compete at a really high level. I think I just bit off more than I could chew too early, too fast. And so after that, I just dialed back and I I kind of stuck to the local small scene and I've been enjoying that kind of ever since. And, Maybe someday, um, you know, po- post uh, COVID and we oh, yeah, got a couple kids now that we're trying to raise that are, you know, ten months and, and two years. So I'd like to get back at it. It just time's kind of time is a as is an issue right now.
0: But at one point the transition happens, Matt, and and you you go to a race or whatever and you say to yourself,
1: Oh, this R D thing, I can do this. When yeah. was that moment for you? So so when I so I was living in Michigan and um I graduated, got my teaching degree, sub for a while, was coaching in a high school uh, program for a while, then then was an assistant coach at Eastern Michigan for a while, and uh, then I was like, you know what, I, I can't stand negative ten degree temperatures. I'm moving south. I had a friend that lived in uh, down in Greenville. You know, she's like, hey, you come crashing her couch. Uh, our lease is up pretty soon. We're moving down to Charleston. You can have it. And so I moved down to Greenville just on a whim. Just was tired of the the whole northern thing. Really had uh, no plans when I got down. And I thought to myself, what is the easiest way to meet runners? Well, you put on a running race. Right. Like literally did. And I was running, I had some people invite me to some trail runs at the time, but I just said, all right, let's do do this race. And we called it the the Knock on Wood Running Series. And we had a 100 miler, a 100K, a 50K, a 25K, a 5K, and a kids' run. And we had a 24 hour relay, I think. So, and I did, I had no software, I had no timing machine, I had no, no, I had no nothing it was like literally manual entry as on a two mile loop. It was chaos, but like 300 people showed up and I was like, Holy crap. Like we have something here, whether I'm doing it right or wrong, you know, that's regardless, I can learn from this. So people showed up, I'd say 95% of them had a fantastic time. It was like 90 degrees out in June, uh, 2014, but, um, it was fantastic. I said, I want to do this again. So then we kind of added, you know, some mountain races, some relay races, some road races, some shorter trail races. And, uh, but that was, that was kind of it. And it it isn't, you know, learning to RD. I learn every weekend. I mean, I, I, we hosted races past weekend. I just got back yesterday and you learn every weekend and the community has been so supportive. It's just, uh, it's, uh, I could do it, but it's not just me. It's, it's my volunteers. It's, it's the, you know, my family that supports me. It's the runners that, you know, we, we see friendly, familiar faces that come to all of our races throughout the year. It's just, um, it's not, it's, I mean, I tell people all the time when they show up to my race, Oh, you do such a good job, Matt. Thank you so much. I'm like, I took your money and picked a date. Like it's the volunteers and you guys, when you guys, you guys make it a race, not me. So yeah, doing the whole RD thing, it just hit me just because I knew I wanted to meet runners in Greenville and and I've now met quite a few of them in the upstate South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia.
0: But it's kind of interesting to start to just, I mean, jump right in. I mean, so many people yeah. Well, do you like, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to go to some races and watch where you're like, eh, how hard can this
1: be? I am reading. I will say um, a buddy of mine, uh, Mike, he he bought me this book. It's a, I don't know if you've read this one, Joe's rules of trail. No. Yeah. So it's uh, Joe's rules, the art of Trail race directing. Uh, He puts on some trail running races and some camps out West. And I've, you know, he's been doing it for a lot longer than I have. And I think that's what RDs need to do is, I see what uh, some RDs do around the area and I think that's the, you know, the best form of, you know, um, is not imitation, but just learning. We're not reinventing the wheel. So you just learn what other people are doing really well. You learn what you do well, what your personality type is as a race director. And if you stick with that and you innovate, you know, every now and then you got to kind of change with the times, Um, you know, the the sport will give back to you uh, a lot more than you could ever give back to it, which is kind of the the whole goal for race directing. What are some of those
0: lessons you learned early on that you were like, Oh, thank God.
1: Oh, oh geez. The, what are the, some of the really massive mistakes I've made? Like lessons more, to be honest. Like we, you know, you want to focus on um, my biggest thing, even this, this past weekend is, you know, don't get your runners lost. That, that's pretty huge. <laughs> They'll make their own success, you know, as a runner, you know, trail runners and ultra runners, they're self-sufficient. So you don't really have to worry about, um, kind of how, how they're going to feel and, and what their day is based off of the result of their race. But if you don't get them lost and you get to the finish line with, you know, um, you know, relatively unscathed, um, I think that's kind of, that's kind of big, the biggest issue we've, we've ever encountered was just, um, not marking the course. Well, and this was like super early in, in my career where like I handmade some signs and we had like this weird three-way intersection where like the 10 K runners were going left. The half marathoners were going right the 50K runners on their first loop were supposed to go straight. And it's just like, less is more. Like, cut all that stuff out. Just do a couple, you know, distances. Don't overwhelm yourself. Um, and if you focus on the runners, you know, you'll be just fine.
0: What are some of the things you found that you're good at? Because everybody kind of has their thing. I think of the great race directors that I know. And they're all kind of known for something, right? They all have yeah. – they, they bring a little bit of themselves to each one of their races. Matt, what's what makes – an upstate ultra race, special and unique?
1: Man, that's a, that's a tough, You put me on the spot. I don't know. I really don't know what I'm good at. Uh, I know what I'm, I'm getting better at. And like I was mentioning, you know, every race director has their personality mm-hmm. type. Um, we try to make things really laid back and approachable. We want any runner to come up to the art. We, I want to be accessible by all yeah. runners and, and all of our staff and all of I mean, our, you know, our volunteers and, Um, even, even the family, every time I get emails all the time and I, it's probably the best thing I'm good at. If somebody emails me, I'm probably going to respond to them within uh, an hour or two. It doesn't matter if the race is coming up this weekend or if it's a race in nine months, I will respond to them and say, Hey, I have you an answer. Here's what it is. Or no, I don't have an answer, but I'll get back to you as soon as I get. So I think my ability to, um, just make sure everybody's on the same page before race day is probably the, probably the best thing that most people know about me is that I respond to emails really quickly. And that's kind of the time that we're in. Cause you, you have run, I have runners coming from North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, We had some virtual runners compete this past weekend up up in the Northeast. Um, And they all are sending me messages like, Hey, what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we park? Uh, Obviously the information all on the website, but I'm really good about like, Hey, you know, here it is, you know, this is where you can go hope you have a good day because if somebody shows up unprepared and they have a bad day because you weren't, you know, readily available to, to give them that information, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it speaks volumes. And obviously, as you know, you know, one, you know, you can have a thousand things spoken positively about you, but if you have one bad thing out there, that's negative. It's just kind of a, you know, I try to avoid that at all costs. Matt, let me tell you, <laughs> I,
0: I can tell you about, Oh, it was about me. It was about me yeah. in my life when uh, <laughs> I, I, I was on the internet and saw some very interesting things said about me. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, so,
1: I think where, where are you from originally? I'm from uh, Wisconsin originally. Okay. So, I, you got you probably got some thick skin i always say you know people up in the midwest up there in that cold climate we got thick skin and it, some of the stuff that's been said about me i mean uh, honestly like you know it it bothers you to a certain extent but at the end of the day i got a family to support yeah. i got a running community to to give back to i i don't have time to worry about people I mean, We you know we had issues a couple of weeks ago when we had our carolina reaper race with you know just folks like i can't believe they're having races during this this covid19 and and you got to you gotta be honest with them and say, you know, every every person that's there chose to be there. Right. They accept a certain, uh, you know, level of, of risk in, in their lives. And we all do, no matter, you know, what we're doing in our lives, we have to accept a certain level of risk. And uh, I just kind of, I'll, I'll address it and I'll give them my two cents and I will take their feedback. Um, and, and I have no problem if somebody wants to, you know, you know, shout out at me at the world on Facebook or social media or whatever. Um, I've just learned that, you know, I got bills, I got a mortgage, I got kids, I got yeah. a, I got a business to run, I got a community to support. I don't have time for somebody that lives twelve hours away behind the dark web. I just I just don't have time for it.
0: Well that brings us to an interesting point, Matt, is the Rona, as I love to call it, has changed the game. I mean, we were, you know, look at March, for example, when the things kind of started to hit. You know, I'm I'm dropping my my daughter off for her second year of college this weekend we were looking we're looking back and and we're going my god you've been home since march because spring break (laughs) came around and spring break was she's been home since spring break and so it's it's, god the time has passed so quickly i'm gonna start crying i won't um but anyway so but but the race world changed so many races got canceled and there's even races now that have postponed to the fall, and some states are saying no permit for you. It's not yeah. going to happen in the fall. How did you navigate the world of race directing in COVID nineteen?
1: So, yeah, I mean, when when, when early on, and basically, um uh, I, I remember our uh, conquer the rock race was March seventh and eighth, so the first weekend in March. That that kind of word was kind of going around, like, hey, there's this COVID nineteen thing up in New York a little bit down in Florida, like th- this thing is, and I didn't really address it as being a, a real situation that I had to worry about, you know, in South Carolina, North Carolina area. Right. So, all right. Well, we're going on with the race. Um, we brought hand sanitizer. People wanted it, but there was no such thing as a mask back then. And then the following weekend we directed, uh, just a just a local 5k, you know, um, chase the rainbow St. Patty's day race. And, uh, like leading up to it that Wednesday, um, the, and there was another bigger race in town that just canceled. It was like, you know, like 1500 people. And I'm like, Holy crap, their race canceled. Like, Oh, should, are we supposed to cancel our race? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm like, no, let's just go forward with it. And we did it. And that was probably the last race in Greenville. And then just a week later, I think the stock market crashed. It went like, everyone's like, all right, this, this is changing the whole world. And, and race was canceled. We can't, I mean, our knock on wood got canceled. Ultimate got canceled. Firebreak got canceled. Our uh, uh, Lake city race got canceled. That was all the way up to the first weekend in June, and then as things kind of progressed, we started learning more about the disease. We started developing treatments. We were not overwhelming all the hospitals, so you know obviously the cases were kind of you know flatlining and then spiking. You know when they started reopening the economy, we just knew what we were dealing with in early June. So I felt comfortable myself, still hosting the races and just assuming, and but also giving a virtual option, but just assuming that the runners that were attending. And I think you you could ask any of them. They all, they all, they all understand what the risk is, right? They're showing, knowing that, um, in the past couple of weeks have said, Hey, you know, you know, pack a pickup post-race activities, please have a mask, please be socially distanced. If you didn't come with that person, please, you know, stay six feet away from, we've just said that. And just, you know, I think most trail runners are. Are, like we said, self-sufficient enough. They they understand the rules. They know what they're getting themselves into, and uh, we have no problem putting on races. You know, now and, and moving forward, uh, we did have some venues that wouldn't allow us just for government reasons. So we we changed the location of the Carolina Reaper two weeks before, developed a new course, and everything went fine. So um, yeah, I mean, and we also put on a bunch of virtual races. We turned some races virtual. You know, I was telling in, in the last podcast I did, we we raised over sixty thousand dollars. Uh, for five different uh, nonprofit charities oh, wow. through our virtual runs. Yeah. So we just put on solely virtual runs. Um, we sent them T-shirts and, and, and bibs and, and certificates and, and, and medals and stuff. And um, just because I wanted something to do in April, May, and June, and this was a good way for me to connect with – because nonprofits, they make their money off of, of events. They yeah. do fun events. And if they don't have those because you can't do them anymore, it's like, you know, who, who am I not to – you know, I want to get, engage these runners in these nonprofits together. So, you know, I had I had some opportunity to help some nonprofits during the time, and we're we're still we're doing okay. I mean, like I said, we're we're moving on with all of our races um, until someone tells us we can
0: Matt, one thing about ultras that I love is the connection. And so, you go into an aid station, especially the longer races, and you have these amazing volunteers that will drop everything. To hands on, yeah. get you back on the course. Well, with COVID nineteen, there has to be the, the the volunteers had to step back and mm-hmm. be, because of safety. I, I did a race with my wife over the weekend and it was everything is on a table. We cannot hand it to you. We cannot yeah, right. we cannot touch you. Was that hard to implement <laughs> rules for you because you, you because I don't know. I, for me, I'm thinking about putting my 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 brain into a race director of going like okay volunteers and that connection in ultra running is so important is the steps we have to take does that remove some of that connection from the race
1: i, I would say so when covid happened we basically said no aid stations we will point you in the direction of a water source we're not providing you any food no water Um, during packet pickup, we have literally all the pins laid out. So you, you you pick up the pins yourself, you pick up, you know, that everything's self-service, we've really been a uh, self-service pickup race organization from the get-go we are, you know, you know, uh, fairly grounded. And when you show up, we want to be so laid back that you can approach us. And we say, Hey, here, here's the bib list. You find your name, find your bib number. They're all laid out in alphabetical order. You pick up your bib, you pick up your pen and it's we had a swag bag location. You know, you pick you see your name, find out what swag item you ordered. You pick it up. It's we, we want, we took the volunteers completely out of the situation because we didn't want to put them in a situation where they felt they had to hand something to somebody. So right. it's been a complete self-service situation as far as that, you know, kind of getting rid of the intimacy of the race. I mean, you can, we, we just uploaded 1400 photos of over 250 runners from this past weekend, over two days. You can look at those photos and, and you know, for a fact, the intimacy and the connection of runners was not lost because those runners still are most ultra runners, especially doing run a 30 hour race or 50 K that's, that's a, that's a journey that they're on their own. And so they want to be out there in solitude because they know they got inner demons to fight. So when they're out there fighting through, you know, mile 20, 24 to, to 31, it's a, uh, you really don't want to connect anybody anyhow, you know, you got to connect with you know one foot in front of the other kind of a thing. So, um to to a point yes because there's a lot of fun that happens at aid stations but to to the actual end end of a race and 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 seeing all the photos um um that we had this past weekend no i I think races are not going to lose that that um that magic during this covid uh season are aid stations back at your races now or okay no we have not done an aid station since um, we did it at Conquer the Rock the first weekend in March. Yeah. Just because I was like, ah, it's not really a real thing. Like, what the hell's going on? Uh, but after that, we're like, no aid stations. And I, honestly, for loop races, we might not do aid stations probably until midway through 2021. So we've just, on all of our races, we just said, no aid stations, bring your own stuff. And, and even this past weekend, we probably had about 30 to 40. You know, ten by ten pop up tents. That everyone's, you know, they, there's groups of people that kind of came together. So they're all doing their own personal aid station, which still made it kind of fun. So yeah, we're not. We're just not doing that stuff right now.
0: We're not talking a point to point hundred miler, Matt. Yeah, no. You're like, no. So I don't. Yeah, you're on just, your own,
1: fuckers. Yeah, 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 yeah no. <laughs> Logistically, we uh, we've not gotten to the point where we've done any long point-to-point stuff. Uh, we're working on the uh, our Table Rock Ultra to do a complete uh, single loop 50k that hits the three tallest points in South Carolina, and uh, eventually, um, I would love to put on a really long, long 77 mile race here in South Carolina, the Foothill 77. That's a dream of mine. I, I know a few people that would love to see that happen, and um, we're gonna. It's gonna take a really um, a, a large organization a lot of volunteers support to, to get that off the ground
0: and, and of course aid stations have to be a, a part and of that stations. as, as yeah.
1: well so most, most, and most of those aid stations are you know it, it, so is, uh, that might be a 2022 goal because i just don't know how point-to-point ulcers are going to be able to do aid stations um you know until you know midway through 2021 so
0: i did see something someone took a uh, a, a kick drum uh, the kick for a kick drum and yeah. they attached it to the water uh, dispenser on one of those right. orange I mean, yeah. there you go. Yeah, and yeah. you just go and you'd press and then you'd fill your water bottle. It seemed to work. Yeah. People are, are being really creative, but I, I, I want people to know that, you know, when you're talking about no aid stations, you are talking about looped races where it's multiple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so most of, most of my
1: races, you know, we, we're, we uh, we enjoy our, I mean, that's, you know, if you want to talk about the per- personality and RD, that's kind of my, that's kind of my thing. I want to create a party atmosphere where runners can, can just, you know, crush miles on a, you know, five, six, you know, 10 mile loop.
0: Um,
1: and that's kind of what we, you know, this last weekend, it was about a six mile loop, uh, that we had, um, some runners, you know, we had four runners finish over a hundred miles in the 30 hour race. We had some 50 K runners first time trial runners in the 10, five miles. So, um, so, yeah. So, yeah, no, no aid station. That means, you know, runners can still get to their personal stuff every five to ten miles.
0: Right. So you're you're allowing them to set up an area where they can put everything they need right yeah. there and they can they can you know set up their own nutrition which, plan.
1: Which I think, you know, when I do a 50K, you know, I don't ever rely on even on, you know, point to point races, I'm like, all right, give me, give me some Coca-Cola. If you got some pickles, great. But I'm, if I, if it, there's a drop bag option or if it's like a three, you know, I did, I did the millstone 50 K every year and it's a 10 mile loop and I just drop six water or six, you know, one water bottle, one tailwind, and I grab both of them each loop and I might grab some Coca-Cola in there in between. But that's, that's me as a, you know, I'm doing those races in about four hours but I understand if you're a 10 hour 50 ker and you, you, you're eating a whole bag of Cheetos during the race and you're, you know, you're mowing down on the the brownies. You, you love kind of coming into an aid station and sitting there for five minutes socializing. And that's, that is a connection that's lost right now. So I do understand your point where 90% of runners are just getting to their personal aid station, grabbing what they need to do, not really getting any social, social interaction. And it's hard to motivate them to get back out there in that next loop.
0: I guess you kind of, the the community becomes the runners, right? And You you make that connection out on the trail. Let's talk about some of your races. What are some of your favorite, because we we can't name them all, Matt, because you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I would say um, we do a lot of stuff with the state parks, county parks. We've got some on private land. Um, Some of my favorite races to direct, probably the Carolina Reaper is really fun just because it's, you are doing a 50 K, but you're doing it in such a format where you get 40. Well, now this year it's a fluent trail. You get 45 minutes to do 2.62 miles. Um, and then every 45 minutes I shoot the gun, everybody gets back together. I shoot the gun off and you go again. So people are racing it. If you do it in 20 minutes, you get 25 minutes to rest. If you do it in 42 minutes, you only get three minutes to rest. Right. That's probably my favorite race to direct. Um, you know, I got table rock. That's, you know, that's one of our most famous ones. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's super difficult climbing Table Rock, climbing Pinnacle, climbing Sassafras. Um, I do a couple, you know, beer, barbecue, road races. But we've got such a wide variety because I want to be able to provide an opportunity for every, you know, level of runner, an opportunity to race. I've got runners that come to my loop races and they love it. I've got a bunch of runners that come to my 5K races and they love it. And I've got some runners that will only do Paris Mountain and Table Rock because they want those, you know, or in Jones Gap because they want those mountainous, you know, super high, you know, vertical climbs. So, yeah, I just I provide. I mean, I got twenty five races a year. I've got something for everybody. So I'm not gonna say one's my favorites, but it's just um, I want to provide. I mean, that's why you RD. You don't RD for the money. You don't want to be stressed out all weekend for you know a couple hundred bucks here and there. I do it because I want to provide an opportunity. One to because believe it or not, they pay me to go out there and watch runners do loops. And I enjoy meeting the friends and family that I have on on the trail. I mean, there is a trail community and trail family that that has kind of grown through Upstate Ultra. So none of them are my favorite just because I know the the goal is to provide an opportunity for the, the whole spectrum of, of runners.
0: There's some interesting trends, Matt, and it does seem like with upstate ultras, you really want to kind of keep it low key, keep it approachable, keep it fun. There are some trends that we've seen in races over the last couple of years. Uh, One, I remember, and I I won't say the race, I don't want anybody to get bogged down, but I remember there was a race charging runners to ask a question. It was like a dollar. I remember that. um also like if you, you said you send the RD an email to ask them a question you had to pay like a dollar to, to, to <laughs> i don't know if you remember that or not no I think, no we we definitely do not have that on our race i think they got blasted so hard that they were like oh, oh did we say dollar we meant holler Get, holler yeah. at us anytime you want so, so
1: if, if you actually go through like our registration process mm-hmm. we and like we do i think i mean hands down we're probably one of the, the cheapest trail race direct you know, directing operations probably in the whole country. Um, you know, we have an early bird pricing, forty-eight hours for all of our races. So, like on September first, coming up here in a couple of weeks, yeah. we will open up registration for Sassafras and Prisoner of War. Those two races will be about twenty bucks to register, and for twenty dollars, basically, you get a bib, you get us cheering you on at the end, and you get a finish time. If you want to buy a hat, you can. If you want to buy a shirt, you can. Uh, you get a finish medal, obviously, for, for finishing. Um, but we want to make it super cost effective um, for for everybody. Then after that, prices obviously go up exponentially into until race day. But we have loyal Upstate Ultra, you know, scumbag runners that come out and they know, like, oh shit, September first, I want to do Prisoner of War, I want to do 30 hour race. I'm gonna sign up for 20 bucks. But what happens is, and we just had this this happen last uh, t- about two weeks ago when we opened up registration for we call it the Snowbird Challenge, which is now uh, Carolina Reaper, but only in the winter, yeah. uh, we had 250 people sign up it's a, it, and they signed up for 20 bucks and you, you get a sweatshirt, you know, you get a finisher medal. So but with that, what that does is on, we actually helps us pay for the race. So day one and day two, we pay for the race. Yeah. The other 363 days of the year, we make money. We, you know, we profit, we're able to donate back to the, you know, the facility. So we want to be cost effective, but it, it is also a business, but we will do anything for a runner. Um, you know, asking it—you know, paying a dollar to ask a question—that seems kind of silly. That's the, really- that,
0: that's really uh, Matt. I, I I really like the approachability of it because one of my worries is as, as this race and this sport gets bigger, and it is getting bigger. It is getting bigger. You know, I mean, you probably went from seeing some races of yours. You know, be half full the day before yeah. to now everything is is selling out and you've got to turn people away, which I know has got to be hard to turn people away. But I have noticed with the popularity, I've noticed prices going up and amenities going down um, yeah. like some races where they'll charge you two hundred dollars for a 50K. You don't get a shirt. You get a pint class at the end. And it I, just. Um, go ahead i just i just i to me i always thought trail the beauty the beautiful thing about trail running yes you're going to have i understand there's a cost involved but you don't want it to be triathlon level cost you want it to have that 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 approachable entry you want to be something for Mm -hmm. everybody and and you know there's some races yes that charge fifteen hundred dollars for an entry fee and that that's fine that's an experience for some people but i like I like what you're doing to keep things available to everybody to give yeah. people a I mean, point I, of entry.
1: I, I'm all about capitalism. I mean, I I have I, this. Our dean is like literally one of my full time you know jobs. I, yeah. I I coach for a living. I got real estate for a living. I and I work part time in a running store for a living. So I, I you know if you want to make money, if you want to charge fifteen hundred bucks to have someone enter your race, more power to you. If you can find that population that wants to sure. do it. That's just not. That's not what I want to do. Um, I've never been an award junkie or a medal junkie. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I went and did the, you know, I won't name the race, but it offers massive medals bigger than your head. And I'm like, that's never really appealed to me because if I were to offer that at my race and say, hey, come do this race, give you this massive medal, my price would have to go from 40 bucks up to 110 bucks. Right. Because medals are not cheap, and I don't want to do that. So we actually, I hand make a lot of our medals and a lot of our stuff. Um, and they always have a blank that they're made out of wood. So on the back, it's blank yeah. and you can write what your time was, if what your age group place was, a quote from the race. You can tell me how bad it sucked, you know, because I look at a lot of my medals on my wall and I go, I do, I, did I even do that race? I don't remember <laughs> that. But if you had a piece of wood that had the logo on it and it had a little quote from you, you could say, Oh shit, I remember that race. Like, you know, we had to do that huge river crossing and I lost my handheld bottle and went down to, you know, whatever. So, right. I'm, you know, like that connection with runners. I just want things to be a little bit more personal if I can focus on the runners and less on the amenities I mean, not that amenities are, are bad. I just, no, for me, it's it's more about the actual event and, and what your experience as a runner is.
0: Something for everyone, and I think that's yeah. that's important. You know, there's gonna, there's definitely a place for those fifteen hundred dollar races, but there's also a place for those twenty and forty dollar races. Mm-hmm. That I think yeah. I, I'm seeing the space for the twenty and forty dollar races get smaller and smaller. So I'm yeah. glad that someone like you is is carrying yeah. that torch and making uh, ultra running. Reasonable for people that want yeah, I mean, to I, try it out. I, I've done Boston a few
1: years, and I think the entry is like two seventy nine, and I'm like, I you can double it, and I'd pay for it because like, right. the experience was fantastic. But I've done a pretty famous fifty miler in on the East Coast, and I go, what the hell did I pay that much for for this race? And it was just you know, and I think part of it because I had a bad race, but two, right. I was just like, I went to the rafter party and you had to buy $6 domestic beers. And I'm like, really? Like, this is the after party. (laughs) And like, there's 18 people here. I mean, this is a 1500 person race. Right. 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 Exactly. I completely understand where you're coming from. And we, we will, I vow that we will always, you will never see, I think my hundred miler at knock on wood at its highest price is a hundred dollars. You'll, I don't think you'll ever see any of my races over a hundred bucks. So. I'll I'll vow to you today, Ryan. None of my races will ever be over a (laughs) hundred (laughs) dollars. I'm going to hold you to that, Hammer (laughs) Smith. You you, can hold me. I mean, when you put on 25 races a year, you know, it's kind of a it's it's a it's a it's a game by you know by numbers basically. But I I don't put on these races because I want to make more money. I put on these races because man, I I see an opportunity for something really fun. Like we've got a race uh, registration opens up you know on September. September 1st, the Sassafras 8k. It's literally, it's a five mile race on a road um, in February that just goes straight up a mountain. On a, It's just, I'm like, this is this gotta be the coolest race ever. And it sold out last year and people had a blast. We started off at the bottom and it was like, you know, kind of chilly 40 degrees. We got it snowed the day before, but it wasn't snow. I mean, you know, most snow in South Carolina melts, right. but we got to the top completely snow covered. The views were fantastic. And it's like, man, I just charged $10. We sold out. I lost money in this race. But everybody had a fantastic time. So now, knowing kind of what we know, how quickly it's going to sell out, we're going to do the exact same thing. We'll have early weird pricing. We'll open up a few more spots. But some of my races are about making money. Some, my, But most of them are like, man, I really want to do this because this would be a cool race.
0: Very cool. Um, as a race director, you're there, and you get to see people. Um, do some amazing things, whether they're battling demons or doing things that they probably thought maybe a year ago or two years ago that they could never accomplish. They they find themselves out on that trail. They conquer those things, and you're there to witness the completion of their quest, of their journey. Do you really? have any moments that you remember as a race director, finish line moments that really stuck out to you? Uh, touching moments, powerful moments, witnessing people do what they thought was incredible or, or not I, possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many stories, uh, a lot of our, I mean, one because we're putting on so many races and, and we get, we get this all the time. Like I've never done anything like this. It's completely amazing. But a finish line at most ultras and obviously you've been to quite a few of is like the most anticlimactic, you know, personal victory you'll ever have. There's like six people there <laughs> four of them are having a conversation or drinking beer around a fire one of them might be timing you and and yelling at you what your bid number is and 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 maybe me sitting there like you know hey congratulations you know how did how did it go how how do you feel here's your award but i don't know their story They, they you know they don't they don't know me their story is unfolding before they even get to the finish and they're seeing that success before they reach the finish line so uh, I just think it's, it's more of a, it's a foregone conclusion. They, they've already sub- celebrated before they got to the finish because getting to the starting line is really half the battle and then getting halfway through the race. They, they know like, Hey, I've already fought all of these demons inside of me. The the first 15 and a half miles of the race. I, sure. Shit. Nothing's going to stop me the next 15 and a half months. They've already won the race even before they got to the finish line. So, so when I see people finish, it's more like, it's a, it's a bit of a relief, you know, knowing that, they were going to get there no matter what, but they've already celebrated inside before they even got to the finish line. So
0: where do you see the future of upstate ultras going, Matt?
1: I mean, we, like I said, I want to add one or two more races that I I really want to do. That's, it's kind of been a long time coming, but other than that, we want to get a little bit more um, in depth with our, our volunteers. I need to add a couple of staff members. We've bought a business uh, this year, a timing company. So now we have, we've got, you know, chip timing at all of our events and, um, as far as where it's going to go, I, I hope it doesn't really go anywhere. I just want to stay, stay the course. We've, we have just been so blessed with the, the trail running community here in the, the state of South Carolina. We get people from, you know, like I said, North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky that come out and do our events uh, on a, you know, annual basis. And we are just very thankful to have the opportunity to hold, hold races. You know, we, I think the biggest issue that race directors are having right now, especially with COVID, if, if you have any overhead or any uncertainty about hosting a race, you know, this, this summer, this fall, next, next winter, um, they might just cancel it and, and, and pack up, you know, you know, shut, shut the doors and, and, and never reopen again. we don't want to be in that situation. So, um, we've kind of reached out to the community and say, you know, how can we be here for you guys? Like I said, I'm, not, I'm kind of not really listening to all the haters out there. I just want to know what I can do for the trail running community that I represent and people, you know, the state of South Carolina and, and surrounding areas. So, as long as I'm listening to what they want, and I, you know, if it, if it kind of uh, aligns with my morals and, and my compass, um, I don't think we'll have anything to worry about.
0: Do you think there's going to be a, a, a big hole once once Corona's done, right? We can go back to normal. Do you yeah. think there's going to be where before we may have had? I'm just pulling this number out of my ass, everybody. Where before we had a thousand ultras a year. Yeah. Is it going to be something like where there's 600 ultras a year because a lot of them didn't make it through the hard winter?
1: Yeah, no, I think um, I've actually I'm I'm working on acquiring a race right now from another RD that's that's not really interested in RD anymore just because he's had to cancel four races already this year. Mm-hmm. And he, he's he's had to incur some upfront costs, you know, you know, preparing permits and insurance and buying shirts and bibs and you know whatever it it just it gets expensive and now he's being told um, or this rd is being told um that uh that their race in 2021 might not happen that they're not looking to move the race date you just have to completely because we don't know what the landscape's going to be like next year so that person has already decided that they're shutting their doors on some of the races that actually all of the races that they're doing and he's you know, this, this already is trying to outsource like, Hey, you know, what what am I going to do with these events, if anything at all? So yeah, I, I think there's going to be a massive hole in, and in, um, in, in the racing community and what's available out there in 2021, just because um, we, we could see, I, I don't know where this, this whole thing is going to go. I really don't. I, I hope we get a vaccine. I hope that after the election, some of the, some of the political tensions, you know, uh, simmer down. Um, I think that'll obviously help tremendously, but, if we don't uh, get a vaccine and this 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 whole political climate escalates we might not see a very uh pleasant 2021 so so yeah I think a lot of races won't come back what do you
0: what do you hope to see and when this is all over what what do you hope ultra running looks
1: like My, well, so my hope is by the end of February, I I actually help, I don't RD, I don't, I'm not, I have no stake in this race, but I help as a, as a pacer and a coaching sponsor for a local half marathon that's got about 2000 people in it. And uh, I would really love to see us um, get get our shit figured out by then um, just for the sake of, of this RD who's had to cancel a lot of his races, triathlons and, and road races. And, and, and he's even a timer. That's, RDs, honestly, we don't have it that bad. If you are an RD and you canceled your race, if you did it, if you did the honorable thing, if you just said, Hey, here's a refund or here's a deferment, then everybody's square. But as a timer, you get paid for showing up and providing the service of timing races. Guess what? No one's paying a timer for canceled races or deferred races. So these timers are out there not getting paid at all. And there's thousands of them out there. So RDs typically, in my situation, I. We're so low cost, and money's has as already been spent on us. If we don't do refunds, we just do deferments, or we should say, "Hey, here's a code. Sign up for one of my other 24 races that we have." So we have a perfect opportunity for our runners to say, "Hey, could make it to Knock on Wood this year, but I really want to do Sassafras next year. Can I get a code?" Boom, easy. They email me, I send it out, easy peasy lemon squeezy. But um, there's RDs out there that are doing one or two races a year. And if both of them get canceled and they're not sure if those races are going to happen next year, they are just going to shut their doors up. It's not, it's not, we're not out here getting paid a lot of money. So it's not even worth the headache having, you know, 200 people emailing you, Hey, is the race happening? Is the race happening? And and you don't have a good answer for them, you know, for, for 2021.
0: Matt, are you saying basically you picked the wrong time to buy a timing company?
1: <laughs> I, I picked the worst time. We I've literally <laughs> signed the contract and I forked over the dough uh, March like 16th and we have, we have timed zero races since then. So it was not a good city. I mean, no, it's, it's, Oh, I will say that, you know, when I bought the business, we, we, we sat, we sat in this room that I'm in right now yeah. for hours. What can we do? And we came up with, you know, the run the rabbit, uh, virtual half marathon, which raised about $14,000 for, uh, the Prisma children's hospital. And that was such a cool thing. I said, we have the power to do good even though we're not, you know, not being successful ourselves, we still need to be out in the running community. And then, um, when Ahmad Aubrey, when he was killed, um, I uh, for my, normally for my 30 my, for my birthday, I always do like a birthday run. Yeah. And I'm, like, right, I'm going to go out and run 33 miles for him on my birthday, which was July 15th. And, uh, so I went out there and it just, and we raised, I think we raised 15 over $15,000 for him and his family, just through my birthful run that I wanted to post up. So, um, we have, you know, obviously, you know, first world problems, not, Oh, okay. I can't time the race, but there's other people out there struggling. There are people that know, you know, it's like, I do. I live a pretty cush life with, you know, being out there. I was out in the woods for three days this weekend, getting paid to do it. So um, we're trying to provide opportunity for people to escape some of the, you know, some of their demons and some of this, you know, you know, this, this, this world that we're living in right now at the same time we want to provide you know basically funds for people that really need it and uh, i think we've done a pretty good job balancing balancing you know our our business you know aspirations and how can we give back to the community
0: so what you're saying is there was a discussion with your wife like oh honey this is gonna be great buying this timing company we're gonna Uh, be timing we're gonna be making money every weekend it's gonna be it's gonna pay for itself in like two months (laughs) and then she reminds you that
1: basically uh my so my training's really taken a, a pretty big hit because i've been working so much but yeah. every time she wants to run she gets it because she's just obviously birthed you know two of my beautiful <laughs> children over the last two years and she's this it really happened this past month she is now faster than me it happened like literally about a month and a half ago where her and i go out and runs and she just drops me so it's just it sucks so, <laughs> so anytime she wants to train and run i don't give her any shit because she knows that i'm, and I'm working you know my ass off going out while she's got to stay on with the kids but when she wants to do a run i say yes ma'am however long you want to go run you go for it so because um, <laughs> right. yeah, do,
0: right. <laughs> if you she say no right. <laughs> i'll just say because if you say no she'll go oh i'm not the one that bought a timing company yeah, during
1: thinking yeah. of a pandemic <laughs> well, the worst part is is she wanted to train for the Richmond Marathon and I don't know if they've canceled I know actually Myrtle Beach half is now on mm-hmm. and I think there's another full marathon that's that might be happening in like November, December. But and I think Richmond I don't think has made the final decision yet, but we wanted to train for that and she wanted to break two fifty for the full. And I thought to myself, I was like, even if I trained, I don't, I don't, I couldn't run that anymore. So I'm like, holy shit. Like, I I was supposed to go and pace her. I'm like, babe, you go. I'll stay at home with the kids that weekend because that's a weekend I don't have any races. She's like, do not schedule a race for November 14th. I said, okay. (laughs) Because I'll just like come home and be like, hey, babe, there's a new race. You know, just mark it on your calendar. (laughs) Like, we're doing this now. So, uh, so yeah. So I will say, um, yeah, she's she's definitely, she's a trooper, but, uh, when she wants to run, she gets her way. And when I want to put on a race, I get my way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're saying Mrs. Hammersmith is a saint, is what you're saying.
1: Uh, No, yeah, but she, she, she I mean, you know, she, she's also, a, she's a killer. Stone cold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Matt, the website people can go to to check out all your races.
1: www.upstateultra.com.
0: Very cool. Matt Hammersmith, the race director behind those incredible races with Upstate Ultras in South Carolina. Matt, thank you for joining us on the Adventure Jogger.